to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome. We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. Human. It's a word we use to describe what we are in the cosmos. We are flesh and bone, neurons and synapses, personality and emotion. Our DNA determines who we are, who we will be, and possibly even who we will love. Acceptance seems like it would be an easy thing to receive. We're all human, we all love. But it seems in certain parts of the world, the LGBT community always has to fight a little harder for tolerance and acceptance. And that's not right. And that's why I'm having these conversations. Today we continue the conversation of sexuality and coming out, and we'll hear from three very different women about their navigation through cultural and religious norms into their own self-discovery. Welcome to the Armchair Philosopher, I'm Sean DeRegger. Kylie, you you got a hold of me through Twitter. Twitter's a, a lovely thing to bring people together. Twitter is a great thing, and especially for all of us, kind of on this journey of you know discovering spirituality or leaving spirituality or, or and, all, and all that kind of stuff. And I've really found some really great people to talk to through all that. So um, so it was really cool when you when you hit me up and I'm and I'm sp- I've been specifically looking for female voices. Uh, in the LGBTQ arena, because I'm kind of on this series. And what I do is I kind of latch onto a subject and I kind of explore it until I kind of feel like I'm going to move on. And until the next time I come back around to this and I, and the last episode I did, especially the last two, I I talked to Jay Baker. And then before I had some coming out stories from some, from some gay men. And I was like, what was really missing was the female voice in all this. And I put out the call and, and you got a hold of me. So welcome to the armchair philosopher. Well, thank you so much for having me. So what I'm doing is I'm basically I'm collecting, you know, in a sense, collecting like coming out stories or just your story. And um, we spoke briefly before we start recording and you do you identify as uh, you're Christian and uh, of course, female and uh, bisexual. So when did you realize that maybe you were different? When did, when did you realize you were attracted to both men and women? So I have been out just shy of two years. Okay. Um, and the thing that I sort of egotistically think is interesting about my own story um, <laughs> is that I never, I guess I never really had a big sort of coming out moment or like this big sort of, I don't know, this really drawn out journey leading up to that, right? So I, you know, I've been a Christian for 
about half my life. And just as a, not even as a Christian, but just as a person, you know, getting to know themselves in a very heteronormative society, I, uh, like, my life was literally a very heteronormative thing. Like, I never thought about the possibility that I might be anything except straight. I just kind of lived my life as a person who just sort of assumed that they were this one thing because like nothing had happened to ever make me start to believe otherwise. Um, so then a couple of years ago, I just, I met this woman and everything just kind of fell into place from there. Like we very quickly developed very strong feelings for each other. And I just took like a minute or two and was like, Oh, okay. There's something different about this than my relationships to other women. Yeah. I don't think I'm straight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And then I just, I uh, just sort of as, um, as the writer of the musical Fun Home puts it, I leapt out of the closet. I was just kind of like, hi, everybody, I'm gay now. <laughs> Y'all may or may not have suspected this, but yeah, this is the thing. <laughs> right, right. So so, so, what keeps you kind of, um, not keeps, That's that's. I don't want to put like, you know, uh, a boundary on it, but what brings you to assume like you know, you're bisexual? Is it kind of, you know, like I'm attracted to this woman, we have a great relationship, and you know, you're also attracted to men as well? Or I mean, I'm like I said, I, like I said in the past two podcasts ago, I'm 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 channeling all this through a very straight <laughs> and you know straight white lens, right? Is is my my background? What kind of keeps you there? I guess. Well, well, that's entirely fair. Um, so I'm in suburban Maine. Um, and I actually didn't have a lot of friendships with queer kids growing up. And looking back, that's actually because everybody I knew who was queer was constantly being bullied into staying in the closet. So like, nobody really came out until college. Um, but I guess my thing in, um, settling into the label of bisexual for myself, um, is sort of twofold. One, um, prior to my relationship with that first woman, um, who has since actually come out as non-binary, neither identifying as male nor female, um, but at the time they identified as female. Um, So prior to my relationship with that first, at the time, woman, um, I had dated a couple of guys and like, you know, my, my feelings for them were varied, but I would not say that dating a woman brought me to any sort of place where I felt that the feelings that I had previously had for men were lesser or were invalid. Um, so that's sort of the first layer of that for me. And then the second part of that is also, um, I am currently in a relationship with a person who identifies as non-binary. And a significant part of my attraction to them is their is their gender identity. Um, not to say that gender is like the determining factor for me in attraction, but that's you know a whole other thing that you could probably do a different episode on. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about it. I, I definitely need to uh, get some things in place for that. That's definitely a subject that I do want to to cover. 
yeah, yeah. Gender is a huge one and like very obviously very much part of the LGBT experience, but also a very separate thing. So yes, please trans and non-binary representation. (laughs) It's on the agenda for hopefully for this year. Excellent. I love it. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of the second layer of the shoot, the choosing the bisexual label for myself thing. Like I'm not exclusively attracted to women. I'm not exclusively attracted to men. Um, so a lot of people think like bisexual means, oh, you're attracted to men or you're attracted to women. I personally interpret it as my attraction goes two ways, genders different from my own and genders like my own. Yeah. And the, and the thing that I had to kind of divorce from my upbringing was this is more than just sex. This is more than just, you know, sexual attraction. I mean, it's part of it, but there's so much more to being attracted to someone. And for, for me, this obviously this seems like uh, in your in your case, it's not necessarily just that that there's I mean, uh, you know, everyone has a certain personality and can be attractive in, in many different ways. Is that am I on the right track with that? Um, actually, I would say you are and you aren't. Okay. Um, so to to call myself bisexual, like, yes, a lot of that is who I am sexually attracted to, like, it's not just about who I want to have sex with, but like who I find attractive on that very instinctual kind of level, you know? Um, so a lot of folks in the queer community will say like, um, a couple of friends of mine will say I'm homo romantic and I'm bisexual. Um, so that would, that would imply if you were to hear those two words from them, you know, I tend to be romantically attracted to the same sex, but I enjoy on that other kind of level, people of either or any gender. Um, so it's this whole thing. It's, it's um, quite a spectrum. <laughs> I was raised I don't know, fundamentalist Christian. I don't, I don't know anymore, but I was raised very strict Christian. And so you mm-hmm. uh, being raised that way, it's either this or that. And that's it. You don't get into the spectrum of sexuality um, really at all. Uh, other than like, you know, they get put into the evil basket, you know, and these, these are all the people that are going to hell. You know, they're not, yep. they're, they're not going the proper way. It's not biblical. So, so speaking of that, like, um, so let's go into the, into a little bit about your uh, your upbringing, um, you said you were raised or you're involved in the Assemblies of God, and yep. so how so coming from there because that's very that you consider that pretty fundamentalist. What led you to still be you know consider yourself a Christian, still you know have those feelings and and um and, and keep that belief because so many people when they go through this then they realize they're either you know they're gay or lesbian bisexual whatever um they kind of don't have that community in the church anymore and they get shunned what kept god in your life so i i totally respect anyone who leaps headfirst into that deconstruction journey especially around and upon coming out as you know any anything under the umbrella of queer um i 
totally get that. And I went through a pretty hefty deconstruction myself. Um, but I would actually say that was before coming out. Um, in a way, I actually think that really embracing my identity as a bisexual woman very much brought me back into my faith. Like I, uh, you know, I had been quote unquote out as a person who was affirming of queer folks for years. And that was really where a very large part of my deconstruction happened because a lot of my very conservative church pretty much refused to speak to me outright once they realized that I thought queer folks might maybe not be going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) But once I really, uh, once I met my, my first same sex partner and really got in touch with that part of myself and really felt like, I feel like using the phrase like found the missing piece or anything like really corny like that (laughs) isn't quite right. But I, I do very much feel like I felt more like myself. I felt more like a, a whole person who was just very much getting in touch with herself. And I feel like, that's such a big part of the spiritual journey, right? Whether it's, you know, Christian or whatever sort of spiritual path you're on, I feel like being, being self-aware and self-affirming and uh, knowing yourself and just doing, uh, doing whatever you need to do, accessing whatever part of yourself you need to access in order to feel like you are a whole person because it's only as a whole person that you can be wholly loved, right? Like if you're shutting off this part of yourself, for me, I guess for about 26 years, it was my sexuality. Um, But if you're shutting off any part of yourself, it's like that's a piece of you that you're saying, okay, God, or whoever it is you, you know, have those sort of inner conversations with, I call it God, you might call it something else. you know, if you're shutting off one part of yourself, you're saying, okay, God, you know, you can, you know, love the the rest of me and have grace with the rest of me, right? But you, you can't have this part because I can't even look at this part. And if I can't look at this part of me, I certainly don't want you to see this part of me. So I'm not going to let you love me 100% as I am. Um, So when I sort of came to know and embrace that part of myself, I really felt like I was opening myself up to the the love and the grace that I had not previously allowed myself to have or that I had allowed God to give me. Do you have a church community that you go to now that's affirming or... So I wasn't going to church for quite some time because I was doing the whole deconstruction thing. And then I was trying to find a community that, that would be affirming of me and especially that would be affirming of my partner. Like a lot of folks, you know, are starting to come around on the whole gay thing, (laughs) but a lot of folks still have a hell of a lot of work to do when it comes to non- is gender identities 
um, cis, if no one's thrown that term at you before, being someone whose gender identity matches with the sex that they were assigned at birth. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of communities still have a very long way to go when it comes to affirming varying gender identities. So I really wanted to find a community that would be affirming of my relationship, both as someone who is with someone whose body looks kind of like mine and of my partner as a person who does not quite identify with the body that looks kind of like mine. Um, so yeah, that, that was a thing that definitely kept me, kept us really out of any church for a while. Um, but my partner is involved to some degree in an Episcopal church. And we recently started going back there. And we actually just got in touch with another queer couple, um, one person being a cis female and the partner being non-binary. So starting to kind of foster a queer community within the walls of the church is really important to us and is definitely keeping us involved in that aspect. I've always said community is so important even when you're going through a sort of deconstruction or or even even reconstruction and um it's it's so hard because there is there you know there is the LGBTQ plus community um out, you know out and around you can always find people there but if you're someone who wants to pursue or even talk about faith in a, a safe place I can see why that would be very important yeah, absolutely. Community is huge on both sides of it. Um, so I don't know if you listen to Derek's, Derek Webb's podcast, The Airing of Grief. It's possibly one of my favorite things. Um, but I have heard him talk in a couple of other interviews about, about the podcast and about that community on both sides of that, you know, faith versus deconstruction of faith sort of wall, right? Like you have you have this community of faith that's so important to you in in fostering and in growing your faith. And then if you dare to step outside of that, you have to take a lot of that apart in isolation. And that's I feel like if anything, you need that community more when you're taking that apart than you do when you're putting it all together. Um, and I'm, I feel really lucky to have found community both on the deconstruction side, being a queer person, I feel like it's, it's pretty easy to find if you're looking in the right places and by right places, I mean, on Twitter, <laughs> it's very easy to find, you know, when you're yeah. a particular kind of marginalized person, um, that sort of community that has a very similar journey to your own the community aspect is very important in both. And I'm, I feel very lucky or hashtag blessed <laughs> to have found that community. Both, I think on all three sort of facets of it, both when I was building my faith as a person who had not come to recognize herself as queer yet. And then as a person who was recognizing herself as affirming and, you know, was not feeling accepted by the church. And then finally, as a person who has come out and is ready to dive back into something resembling that community. Does it, uh, does it scare you to kind of jump back into a faith community 
a little bit. Shauna, I'm going to tell you straight up, it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it it really does. Um, Like, I always hesitate to use the word trauma to describe my spiritual experience. Um, But that's also very much a, you know, thing that I think a lot of people who are socialized as female tend to do. We tend to very much undermine our traumas because somebody else has it worse, right? Like, you know, oh, I was kicked out of my church because I thought the gays weren't going to hell. Well, at least I wasn't sexually assaulted by someone in the church. Sure. You know, draw whatever sort of contrast you will. Um, But I feel like it's also very important to name those things as they are. So to name it as it is, I have a lot of spiritual trauma from the several years that I spent in Assemblies of God Church, whether or not I was out as queer. Um, And it's a really scary and nerve-wracking process to walk back up to that community and to really put yourself out on the line, right? To walk up to them, especially, you know, if you're with a partner who looks a little bit like you do and to say, hi, this is me. This is my partner. You know, to, to use a little bit of a cliche, we're here, we're queer. <laughs> Let us in. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, it's, it's really, really interacting to do that. But I, uh, I also feel like, you know, I have to just kind of put that faith and trust and whatever in God or the universe or whatever it is. And, you know, just walk into that believing that we're going to find a community that's right for us and that affirms us as whole humans who are wholly loved. Yeah. Well, that's what we are is, is human, <laughs> you know, and, and exactly. if, if you, if you, if you read the Bible and believe what it says, ultimately for me anyway, that's the, the, is the kernel of the gospel that I cling to. Um, if you want to be, if you want to pick and choose the Bible, which I, which I very much think the Bible was, uh, very much written for people of a certain time by certain different people. But if you look at the over the overarching message of the gospel and Jesus, um, that's was his main message. You are, you are human, uh, you are loved and, you know, and, and we, we go from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's cool that you're finding that community. I really, uh, I'm, I'm affirming, but I want to find, if I want to go to a church, I want to make sure that church is affirming too. And that's been a struggle for me, uh, just cause I have friends in different churches. I was out of church for a long time and trying to go back for, to, to talk to certain people and get their takes on it. And behind closed doors, they're affirming, but from the pulpit, they just don't talk about it. And that's been a huge frustration for me. Yeah. I feel like it's easy for a lot of people to to say they're affirming and then not to act it, right? But the thing is, like, if you're behind that pulpit on a Sunday morning, unless you are, like, at the door greeting every single person who comes in every single week and you never see a change in any of the faces, which should strike you as a sign that maybe you might want to change something. Like if, if you're never seeing any faces that are different and if all of the same people 
are there every single week. You, you might want to switch something up. But <laughs> <laughs> to, to circle back around to that point, like it's, it's very easy for someone behind the pulpit, I'm sure, to say they're affirming and to believe to believe with their whole heart, like I don't know how this logic would play out, but to believe with their whole heart that saying they're affirming is enough. Unfortunately, it's not. You have to walk the walk. Um, and there are a lot, I'm sure, that are not and that think, oh, you're, you know, you're here. That's great. We're going to accept you. They think that's enough, but it's not. Like, we might talk to you after the service, but we might not ask you if you want to play any role within the church. Right, right. Like, mm-hmm. Anybody here could be good for ministry, except maybe not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad that you're that you've found you know you found something um, to to latch on to, and uh, I really think that's going to help you grow even more as 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 a person and and you know your your partner as well, and you know, that's that's important. Finding that's very important. Well, Kylie, thank you for talking to me um, about your story and, and your experience. Thank you so much for making this space. My story is not unique, but it is my reality. And there are certainly some painful elements. I'm a 30-year-old cis woman from the upper Midwest, I am a biochemist and infectious disease researcher, but all other labels aside, I identify as queer. I prefer this term over, say, lesbian, as I've briefly dated men in the past and do occasionally find guys attractive. I also don't find bisexual accurate, as I currently really have no desire to date men. My coming out, or lack thereof, is, as it is for many, deeply entwined with my faith journey and family history in grief, depression, loneliness, and fear. My mother died from cancer when I was nearly six, and eventually my dad and stepmother raised my siblings and I in a very charismatic Assembly of God church. We were homeschooled using exclusively Southern Baptist curriculum, and we lived on a small farm, 12 miles outside of a rural town. Suffice it to say, we were extremely sheltered, and my parents were distant, as well as not particularly affectionate. My dad was heartbroken over the death of my mom, and still has bouts of severe depression. My parents didn't get angry, but they did get disappointed. They were both raised Catholic, and those guilt spirals run deep. My parents discovered that my older biological brother is gay when I was a teen. He moved home briefly my senior year of high school and ended up getting kicked out a few months later. The only time I have seen or heard my father get really angry is when they had a confrontation about it during this period. I don't remember what was said, only that he screamed at my brother. It also sounded like my dad threw things or punched a wall or maybe also hit my brother. I don't know if things actually got physical. It was terrifying for me, and I can only imagine what my brother went through in those moments. I did what I always did when things became unbearable at home. I ran away. 
It was the middle of winter, and we lived in the middle of nowhere. I didn't go anywhere in particular. I just ran into the countryside until I couldn't breathe from running so hard. And I went home when I was too cold to stay out any longer. My brother left shortly thereafter. I only learned some of the details about this years later. My family's not one to talk openly, if at all, about problems. I've suffered from depression and anxiety since I was maybe 13. Meds have helped. My brief stint with therapy did not, although that was probably due to seeing the wrong therapist. I moved away for college and was intimately involved with Chi Alpha for about two years before I stopped attending church regularly. I struggled with my coursework having been ill-equipped for university-level work. I knew many different types of people, but I had a few close friends. I never dated anyone in high school or college, which should have been a blazing neon sign saying, hey girl, you're real queer, figure it out already. I assumed that I just hadn't met any guys that I really connected with. I had a couple of female friends that I realized much later I had crushes on, and I certainly didn't identify those feelings for what they were at the time. I can be slow to the uptake. Shortly after graduating from college, I ended up in Southeast Asia on a five-month-long, very unconventional mission trip. It was formative in many ways, not least of which to my eventual faith deconstruction. It was also during this time that Jennifer Knapp came out publicly. Incidentally, two of the missionaries I was working with were loosely acquainted with her. One of their roommates in college had dated her, I guess. I remember conveying this information to them, interested in their responses. They each displayed two common fundamentalist evangelical Christian reactions to homosexuality, one of pure disgust and one of pure pity. Seeing those responses from people that I respected resulted in my stifling of what I was only beginning to understand about my sexuality. A couple of years later, I'd finished a second degree in philosophy and was well into grad school. A few things converged at once. I had a breakdown from stress related to qualifying exams, and I had just admitted to myself that I'm queer and having my heart broken for the first time by confessing to one of my best friends that I loved her, and subsequently lost the friendship once it slid from unrequited to unrequited and abusive. I eventually met an incredible man at a conference in my field, and we dated briefly via long distance. He knew about my former relationship and was very understanding, but I ended it after a couple of months after realizing that, despite this guy being a nearly perfect human being, I would never fully love him as he deserved. This was, for me, another devastating revelation. And as my friends and family would constantly ask about my dating life, it was and remains a gut-wrenching topic for me, especially as it relates to my parents. I really do desire an intimate, meaningful relationship with a partner, but that partner would never be accepted by my family. All of the setup brings me to why I'm not fully out. All of my close friends know that I'm queer. 
I came out to my brother and his wonderful partner shortly after the 2016 election. And while they're kind and supportive, we don't have a very candid relationship. I still find it difficult to discuss the past and the resulting trauma, and my step-siblings are very conservative. While not openly homophobic, they do not support same-sex relationships. My brother's partner over five years has never met the rest of my family, and I learned in another episode a couple of years ago that he'll never be welcome in my parents' home. He's such a kind and attentive man, but my parents refuse to acknowledge their relationship. For many years, I had actually been resentful of what I perceived to be my brother's unwillingness to engage my parents in discussions of sexuality. I thought that if only they could understand that gayness is not this dark, nebulous existence, that they would see that there are real people with real joy and real morals in this world that just are. However, my stepmother flat out said that it didn't matter who my brother brought home. Part of me and my house will serve the Lord also means that the sinful lifestyle choice, regardless of the person involved, cannot darken their door. While this instance is really the first in which the sentiment was described so openly, there have been many cases over the years to where I have been privy to such distaste and intolerance, since the individual spouting such remarks did not know how their words would affect me. My parents continue to pray that I will find a godly husband. So, I remain closeted. Mostly. I cannot begin to relay how lonely and demoralizing occupying this space has been. However, I have not been able to find an accepting community, a chosen family. My experiences have seemed to indicate that I'm too queer for many straight spaces, for example, church, and not queer enough for gay spaces, like pride events and gay bars. I've had other queer individuals try to shame me for not being fully out, for not seeming gay enough for not presenting gay enough. And since moving to my present location, I visited a few church and spiritual groups, but as a 30-year-old single woman, there are few spaces for me there. This is to say nothing for my current occupation, which requires that I work long and intense hours. I found that the general public tends to view my field and educational accomplishments as incomprehensible and intimidating. The bubble of academia is pretty isolating, Dating is problematic for the above reasons. The older I get, the more difficult it becomes to find people who are understanding of the qualms I have around coming out. Most of the time, I feel that, should a good woman happen along, I should just spare her dealing with my past and my family. Ultimately, I don't desire to have my identity defined by my queerness. I want to be perceived as a whole person. Obviously, being queer is one facet of my existence, but I'm more interested in finding answers to life's difficult questions, bringing justice to the oppressed, seeking and expanding compassion for those around me. It's a difficult line to tread. And I truly hope that it gets better. Sincerely, Jay.
my longtime uh, podcast and internet friend, BJ Colangelo, joins us back on the Armchair Philosopher. BJ, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me back. I was putting out the call uh, for to get some women voices on here, and uh, and you answered, and I was like, oh, because that's something you and I never really we've talked about other things, but we that's just something I guess that has never really crossed our conversations and not something that I would come out and like ask anybody anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think, I think part of that has to do with, I, given how young I am, I mean, I was born in 1990. I'm part of a generation that has grown up relatively comfortable with sexuality and it's never been like a sticking point or a talking point uh, compared to the the generations that came before me where it's, I think a bit more of a, dramatic ordeal just because it was a different time a different place so i mean i'm it's not that i'm not open about my sexuality it's just Mm -hmm. that it's not such a defining aspect of my personality that it doesn't come up very often right right i mean you know it's obvious that you're very free in your in your sexuality either way and that's something you don't shy away i mean you do you you you've been doing uh the porn section <laughs> on the screencast. Yes, I will. So, I will encourage so everyone to watch vintage smut on the screencast. Yeah. So, as far as that goes, you know, it's not you know not anything you'd shy away from at all. And you know, when I had you on last time, we discussed um, you know kind of your story and 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 that aspect of it. Um, but I wanted to you know to dive into kind of so. And this is always like, even with, with my last guest, I'm like stumbling <laughs> talking <laughs> about this. But um, but how would you say you identify as the, at this point? And then I guess we can go from there. Sure. So at this point in my life, um, you actually caught me at, at a very transitionary period in my life. Um, my sexuality has gone through many, many phases because it is fluid. And that is something that, you know, we'll obviously touch on later. But as of right here, right now, I identify as a gay woman um, or a, a lesbian, if you prefer the term. I like the wording of gay or queer more than I like lesbian. That term has created sort of a stigma, I guess, you know. Yeah, I think it's at this point, it's been co-opted. So it's, I, I just like, whenever people ask like, well, what are you? I'm like, I'm gay. And <laughs> that, uh, that works for me. Like you've said, your sexuality has been, has been fluid. Um, how do you have any crazy kind of coming out stories at different parts of your life? Like how, how has that worked? So I've, I've had a few, um, <laughs> The first one is my favorite one. And honestly, I should have just stuck with that at the beginning. <laughs> it would have saved me a lot of years of heartbreak and confusion and a lot of the internal negative feelings that I still battle today. I think they would not exist had I just stuck with my first <laughs> my first coming out story. Um, so when I was in kindergarten, there was a girl named Hannah, and I won't say her last name, but... Uh, She and I are still friends, but there's a girl named Hannah and she had long, like dirty blonde braided hair and big glasses. And I thought she was just the prettiest girl in the whole world. And her and I became fast friends. And um, in my five-year-old brain, I was like, oh, well, I, I love her and I want to marry her. And 
people who are in love and who want to get married, they show affection towards one another uh, by kissing. (laughs) And Hannah felt the same way. So Hannah and I used to spend recess kissing under the slide like we saw on TV. Wow. Um, I mean, we're five. We don't... (laughs) <laughs> we don't understand sexuality. Right. We don't understand, you know, what the connotation of kissing means for adults. We just were imitating what we saw. But what we did understand is that you do that action with somebody that you care about, with somebody that means a lot to you. So we did that for probably three months. And then one day, this boy named Howard um saw us under the under the slide uh he wanted to kiss us and we said no you only do that with people that you love and he said well you can't love each other you're girls and we're like well we do so too bad and we're you know (laughs) defiant little buttheads and uh howard went and told on us to the teacher because apparently uh men telling women what they can and can't do with their bodies starts at a young age (laughs) right and uh, he told the teacher and the teacher obviously did not know what to do about the situation. Like, what do you do? Because it's it's not like there's anything inherently wrong with like kids showing each other affection. But like it was very clearly like children imitating like kissing that they would see in movies. So like that's, I guess, a little bit of a red flag. So they called their parents. Uh, my parents were very much like, oh, that's adorable. Let it go. Uh, Hannah's parents were not of that same, they were not cut from that same cloth. So Hannah was immediately taken out of public school and sent away to private school. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember not understanding why she wasn't allowed to go to school with me anymore. And I remember telling my mom that I loved her and that I wanted to marry her because in my brain, I, you know, I'm five love means marriage. Like there's no other way to look at it. Cause you're five. You don't, you don't know the complexities, the nuances of the human experience quite yet. Um, so that was like my first coming out was I was so defiantly in love with this girl in my class and no one could tell me otherwise teachers, classmates, parents, nobody. Like I loved her and I was heartbroken when she went away to another school. Luckily, Hannah and I uh, reconnected by happenstance in college. Um, She ended up at a party that I was at because her brother was at the same university I was and she was visiting. How we ended up at the same house party, I will never know. But uh, she is still gay. Um, We are still, we became friends immediately because, you know, we we always joke we would tell people that story and no one ever believes us. but yeah, she's she's wonderful. She's happy. And I'm glad that, you know, she was able to still live her truth despite having such a kind of a traumatic coming out for her. I mean, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that kids start to really understand their emotions and like their gender identity and some semblance of what will eventually become sexual orientation around the time they're five or six years old. Um, that's when it starts. And, you know, that's when we start to find the roles that we feel that we need to fit. So uh, for her parents to have just kind of been like, nope, you're wrong. And let's send you away to private school. um, You know, that could have been really traumatic and detrimental for her. And I'm glad that she was able to get through it. Whereas I was 
a lot luckier and I had very supportive parents who just wanted me to be happy. Um, so that's like coming out story one. Uh, as I got older, um, I, I admittedly dealt with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame for my sexuality. There was a really, um, really traumatic experience in fifth grade when, um, we were playing like spin the bottle at a, at a birthday party. And I had landed on this really pretty girl in my class and I can't hide my emotion very well. Um, I have the worst poker face in the world (laughs) and I turned like 50 shades of red immediately. Like my cheeks got really rosy. I couldn't stop smiling because the idea of getting to kiss the prettiest girl in class was like out of the, out of this world for me. And all the, all of the other people at the party, like it's, it's a, you know, you invited everyone in your class kind of a birthday party, uh, but they, they picked up on it immediately. And, you know, one of the, one of the mean skater boys in class was like, Oh, Brittany Jade's a dyke. Look at her. She's, she's blushing. And it was like really traumatic. And I think from that moment forward, I was desperately trying to not be what I knew that I always was. And I spent a lot of years, uh, once I was old enough, you know, to have sex, um, you know, having relationships with men. And I I clung to, in high school, you know, I clung to being, you know, oh, I'm bisexual. And then when I realized that, like, I was attracted to people outside of the gender binary, I was like, oh, well, I'm pansexual. Um, I would date guys and, you know, I would have but but have like still these like massive crushes on on girls and uh it it was a very confusing and hurtful time and then you know I went to college and you know I didn't really have many relationships I slept with a lot of people um both male and female trying to kind of figure myself out um and then what really like threw me for a loop is that I I did meet somebody that I was with for nearly 7 years that I love very, very much, but, you know, ultimately the relationship ended because I, I got to this point where I couldn't keep lying to myself and, um, that no, no amount of love that I have for this person was going to make me not be gay. And I think that's also an important distinction is that, a lot of people feel that, you know, well, if, if you're straight, then that means you are incapable of loving somebody of the same sex. And I think that that's definitely like a weird thing that men have and like why male friendships are so much different than female friendships. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm very different as far as the. Uh, yeah, the, you're the, a pretty affectionate sp- dude. <laughs> yeah, spectrum. you're you're, I, uh, you're not like most boys, Sean. <laughs> well, I have a lot of uh, through my life, a lot of guy friends that I cared for deeply as as in, a, I guess you could say, like in a brotherly way. But like, you know, like, but I would be open about it. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, and, and, and that's, I think and that's, that's a- important. Uh, and I don't hiding all that stuff away. You know, whether you're straight or not or whatever, uh, I think trying to fit in with these uh, societal norms and try to bro up, you know, if you're if you're a man uh, yeah. is not is not good. I think um, and I, I think that it a lot of that has to do with like people's fear of being perceived as gay 
is, you know, kind of hiding and not showing like that, that love that you can have for another person that isn't necessarily romantic, but like you, you doesn't make you love them any less. And that's kind of what happened with this, this relationship I was in for a very long time. And it's, it was with somebody that I, I love more than I've ever loved anyone on, on this planet. But at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm still gay and it sucks because everything in, in my heart of hearts wants to be able to, to just not be gay so I can be with this wonderful person, but I'm just not wired that way. And I've never been wired that way. So the, the official, you know, nail in the coffin coming out was, uh, was calling my parents to tell them that that relationship had ended. And, you know, these are people who, you know, were supportive of their, their budding five-year-old lesbian <laughs> who were very happy when I met this man, a little confused, admittedly, but were very happy. And then to, to get the phone call in the middle of the night of me just sobbing and saying, you know, this relationship ended and I need you to know that it's because, I mean, a multitude of reasons, but the main one being that I'm gay. And I just, I just wept and I, I couldn't breathe. And it was such, such a relief because when you're, when you're fighting the truth so intently for so long, it's like the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> where like, she's so relieved that she survived that she's manic. Right. And that's kind of how, what it felt like. And my mom just kind of responded back and she's like, you dummy. She's like, I don't care. I love you no matter <laughs> what. I was like, I know, but I know that this is kind of a roller coaster that I've taken you on my whole life of I'm gay. No, I'm bi. No, I'm pan. No, I guess I'm straight. No, no, no. Still, still kind of gay. Uh, no, <laughs> absolutely, definitely gay. And uh, I, I, I'm very lucky that I had supportive parents who love me unconditionally because there are a lot of people in my life that are that are gay that didn't have that experience, and it's it's heartbreaking. Did you feel like um, you were straddling the line a little bit, just trying to like we're just trying to hold on just because of that? affection you felt for that person or I'm trying to put myself in, in your shoes, you know, like I, whenever I had these conversations, I try to think like what I would do. I think it's, it's a combination of a couple of things. Um, of course there is that inherent desire to feel normal and being with a cis straight male is the most normal thing that I could have done. <laughs> so there's a sense of security and safety and comfort. And of course there are actual emotions that were tied to this relationship that I, yeah. you know, I love this person and, you know, part of me kept wanting to, to fight the truth of, you know, well, I, I can't possibly be gay because I love this person so much you know, forgetting the fact that love and sexuality are not always intertwined. Um, they can be. It's wonderful and, you know, preferred when it is, but not always. I mean, there are plenty of gay people that live in <laughs> loveless marriages for their whole lives because they don't want to <laughs> ever admit the truth. And, you know, I part of me was okay with that. 
part of me was willing to sign up for that. Like I would forever feel stifled if it meant I get to keep this person in my life because I love this person. Um, so there was a lot of that. And then there's also, um, there's also an inherent fear of accepting that you, that you've been lying to yourself. Like that's, that's a really, really tough realization to come to. Um, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm a very stubborn person and it's hard enough for me to admit when I'm wrong on the most like minute and stupid situations. Like you should have taken a left, but we took a right. Like it's hard enough for me to be like, yeah, you're right. We, <laughs> we should have done that. My bad. Um, I will find every, any reason I can to justify my wrong decision. Um, so having to admit you've been lying to yourself for many years and that a lot of the experiences and decisions you've made over the years were incorrect <laughs> and downright wrong. Um, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard reality to, to accept. Um, but I will say that, you know, while finally admitting that to myself has been it, it, like such a wonderful relief and like the weight of the world is off my shoulders and all of that other poetic bullshit that <laughs> we try to spoon feed to, to little queer kids um, <laughs> is true and is accurate. Um, it's also really scary. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have half a shaved head and green hair <laughs> for all intents and purposes. I am very visibly queer, but I was always able to get by it because I had a boyfriend and I, I never felt worried but now um you know now it's it's back to adjusting to that reality that there are people who genuinely treat me differently because they know that i'm gay or because they perceive that i'm gay and that's that's what's even scarier is when people just make the assumption and they don't even ask and treat me differently um and it's always happened but i guess now that i'm i'm out it's i'm way more hyper aware of it because I don't have that, that safety blanket anymore. So you're, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of, uh, re, I guess re rebooting in a way, not rebooting, <laughs> I get, you know, <laughs> that's the awful term. Um, but you kind of, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm respawning. Respawning. That's a, yeah. that's the good term. There you go. Yeah. Cause I think, I think about it like a video game, like, <laughs> Yeah. You get to you get you're starting over right in the exact same place you were. You're the same age that you were. You're wearing the same clothes. Everything's the same. Uh, but now you're going to make a different decision so that you don't die again. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, that's that's definitely what's happening. And it is. It is really scary. Um, it's really exciting at the same time. Um, but it is it, it is hard. And like, that's that's the that's the part about coming out that I wish more people talked about. I mean, I know people talk about what it's like when, you know, your parents disagree or disown you or whatever, but sometimes that's, that's not what's hard. Sometimes what's hard is, you know, having to accept that there are going to be people in this world that are going to inherently dislike me without knowing anything about me other than the fact that I'm gay. That's that's hard. Um, it's hard to 
know that there are going to be people that have been in my life for years and years and years that are not going to understand. And that no matter what I do or say, they're going to be confused. Um, they may even be upset or angry. Um, and there's really nothing that I can do about that. That's just going to be their reaction and their reaction is not a reflection of me. That's also very hard. Um, and then there's also the, the realization that, you know, <laughs> there are going to be relationships that you've had in your life that, you know, they're, they're going to feel kind of bummed. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that always joke when they find out that like their boyfriend from high school ended up being gay and they always tend to feel a little bad about themselves for a, <laughs> for a second. And, you know, it's the same way that like, you know, people that I love and care about, you know, feel kind of shitty, like, oh, you know, there was literally nothing I could have done to save this relationship. Like she's, she's just gay. And that that's all there is to it. That's hard too. Um, there's a lot of things about coming out that are hard, but I can, I can say with all honesty, I'm a lot less suicidal than I ever was. Um, my depression is seems to be far more in check than it ever was. And I used to always write it off as, oh, I've been through all these other traumatic experiences. That's why I'm sad all the time. Eh, no, <laughs> when you're just subconsciously lying to yourself for that long, it weighs down on you. And finally, just being honest released a lot of that pain. Wow. So, I, I mean, I was in, my, my next question would be, you know, what would be, because it's interesting for me seeing the generations. I'm 40. Mm -hmm. You are... I'm 27 turning yeah. 28. You're a baby. I know, my child. <laughs> so it's interesting for me seeing the generations, how they're handling this differently, like we've kind of kind of discussed. And I'm watching my kids grow up and they're now just starting to kind of realize the different uh, you know, flavors of sexuality a little bit as they're kind of seeing TV. And I think I mentioned mm -hmm. on the last um, two episodes ago, I talked about my kids kind of watching, I think, Supergirl. And I think that there's a... Uh, same-sex couple on there so they had questions one morning for me but it was very just uh just kind of like figuring things out questions it wasn't like you know like oh my god it was like well that's kind of different that's not what i'm like and, and but that's different i'm like well are they happy do they seem happy they're like yeah i'm like you know okay well that's really all that matters right so what what would your um so i don't know the struggles that people i guess younger well, but see, everyone's going through this. I, 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 you know, my email, the last, the last show that I, the email that I read, that person was in their fifties. So, you know, everyone deals with this. So what would your advice be to somebody who's going through this and kind of hesitant on coming out for good, kind of being honest with themselves? So my first and foremost advice, because while I definitely do believe in the intent of like the it gets better sort of mantra that you know queer people have sort of clung to over the years I think it's extremely important that if you are thinking about coming out really evaluate your support network mm. um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't come out um, because you know you're fearful of you know not being accepted or or what have you um, you should come out when you're ready, but if you feel that you are ready, if you feel that it is time to be out and be truthful and, you know, to, to live that truth, the first thing you need to do is check your support system. 
will you be able to survive on your own? Are your parents, like if your parents, you know, kick you out, will you be able to survive not being on the street? Um, and while that sounds, you know, like, oh, you're encouraging people to stifle who they are. And it's like, I'm not, it is statistically proven that I think right now, 60% of the homeless youth on the streets are LGBT. Um, an overwhelming percentage of people that are, are trafficked are LGBT. Um, the amount of LGBT kids in the foster care system are overwhelmingly represented. It's something like, like 10% of kids are LGBT, but 25% of kids in the foster care system are LGBT. So they're overrepresented, which shows that they're being displaced at a higher rate because of who they are. So I would never want someone to feel like they need to stifle themselves, but think about your safety first, because if you want to live your, like in order to be out and be happy and live your life, you need to be able to survive first and foremost. So I always would, that's my number one thing is, does it get better? Yes, it does. It does get better. When you are able to live that truth, it does get better. But protect yourself first and foremost. Always protect yourself. Because lo losing the opportunity to, to live a life is not worth just saying, oh, hey, I'm gay. Like, you can still be gay and still be who you are. Like, you are always going to be who you are. Just make sure that you protect yourself. So there's that. And then the other thing that I would encourage is uh, <laughs> my one bit of advice is that when people come out, there's usually this tendency of, you know, they're, they're so happy. They're finally out. They're finally living their truth. Don't become the insufferable gay person that we all know who then just cranks it up to 90. It's like when poor, <laughs> it's like when poor people win the lottery and they don't know how to function with money and they just buy a bunch of crazy mansions and whatnot. Like be yourself. You don't have to be a caricature. If if you if that is who you are, if that is your authentic personality, fucking go for it. Do what you got to do. But don't feel that you are now obligated to fit a role or to to play a part. Be you sexuality is just one aspect of your personality. It does not define who you are and it doesn't have to. So don't let it yeah. be you. All right. Yeah. That's, that's my, my hashtag bad feminist, bad homosexual <laughs> advice. That's my, my way too real and not idealistic input. Awesome. <laughs> Coming from years and years of turmoil and <laughs> aggression <laughs> that finally came to a head. Well, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you're happy. You know, I mean, that's when I, when I, I mean, you mentioned the young people on the streets and everything. And I, I just read that statistic too, kind of preparing for these episodes. And that's, that's a crazy statistic. And I, it's something I hadn't really thought about. Oh, but it's, it's it, it makes, it makes so much sense though. When you think about how our society has treated LGBTQ plus, uh, uh, people and it, then they get the religious aspect in there where people are like you know well we can't support you we can't we have to disown you because that's what god wants <laughs> you know so right they're willing to do that and just trust god that they'll come through this you know it's like um 
you know, that's, I think that's an important, uh, piece of advice is definitely to, to make sure you have somewhere to go. You have a support group, um, in many, I, I think last show I mentioned like at least online support group people to support you, but I didn't think about the, you know, people around you who can support you because you may not have somewhere to stay. Like that's huge. Right. And like, that's, it, it's such a weird catch 22 because on one hand you're essentially telling people like, keep quiet, you know, stay, yeah. stay, stay in the closet. And it's like, no, I'm not, t- I don't want somebody to stay in the closet. I want you to come out when it's, when it's an okay time for you to come out. Um, Sometimes you know, having because- a game plan isn't a bad, isn't a bad thing. Exactly. Ha- have an ex, have an exit, not exit, an out, an outing <laughs> strategy, not an exit strategy, but uh, I guess, I guess exit strategy and as far as exiting the uh, heterosexual uh, lifestyle. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible at these conversations. I'll just, uh, What's good is that you're acknowledging that you're not good at it um, because I think all too often people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing that they don't mm-hmm. say anything at all. Yeah. And I, I would rather have somebody be fumbling and unsure of how to describe it so that we can actually have that dialogue and have that discussion rather than, you know, ignoring it completely because then yeah. you don't learn. Um Right. And that's what this whole thing is because I had gone so long kind of touching the subject, but I was like, I need to talk to people about this because me just reading about it and and being like, I'm on your team, like online, um, isn't enough. Like I need to actually interact and talk because I'm, I'm in like the Bible belt of Southern California. I think I've met like maybe one gay person in my area, which is crazy. I figured, you know, I mean, and on that topic too, I mean, here's, here's something else that no one ever wants to talk about is when you come out, there is a chance that you may, you know, lose a community based on your faith. Like I, I come from a very religious area and I know a lot of people who were, you know, excommunicated from their church or, you know, they, they couldn't go to youth group anymore because they were gay and that's wasn't allowed. That doesn't mean that there isn't a place for you. Um, Like Unitarian churches are notoriously very gay friendly. You can still have your faith and be gay and there will be people that want to help you. And I think that's, that's the other thing is with thank you. Thank you to the advent of the internet. You truly are not alone. And, you know, even if it's not just a support group, it's so, so easy now to just Google like gay friendly church in my area and you can find it. You can find those resources. Or if you don't want to go to a church and you're just looking for literally anything, like you can find these resources. They do exist. You are not alone. There's a website called gaychurch.org and if you are searching for a church and you want to find a gay affirming church this is a great resource to look and find hopefully a church that uh, if you're wanting to go is affirming so check it out gaychurch.org is the website and i'll make sure that i put it into the show notes just because you come out uh doesn't mean that you know you're a, like that. And that's the weird thing. Like you're not a different person. Like if you still love God, you love God. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So it's like you need, but finding there is that community and, and definitely don't get discouraged if you can't find it. Because in, like I said, in my area, there's very few, but they, they are there. There are those communities and, and, uh, 
and even, you know, even hit me up, I guess, you know, I can help find that surge in your area too. Well, BJ, thank you for talking to me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. And I guess, I guess if I have any like closing statements, um, obviously what I'm speaking from, like in the advice that I give, I'm speaking from my own personal experiences. Um, so I don't want people to think that like my, my perspective and my, my thoughts are universal and will work for everybody. Like that's, that's the beauty about, you know, being gay is cool because we have, you know, something that joins us all together but you know everybody that falls underneath the umbrella of lgbtq plus 2s you know we there's so many different shades of that rainbow and it's okay if you don't feel like you fit in exactly a certain way because that's that's what makes our community so special is because even even in our own niche little minority group we're still incredibly diverse. Thank you for joining us on the Armchair Philosopher. Again, I am Sean DeRegger. You can hear more at theaxpx.com. A big thank you to Jillian Worsley from the At The Fire podcast for lending her voice on today's show. Music provided by the Candle Park Stars and Slow Dancing Society. You can contact me via Twitter at the AXPX. You can also email me from the contact page over at the AXPX.com. If you want to comment on any of these shows and uh, maybe want your voice heard on the show, you can leave a voicemail at 951-723-5586. The Armchair Philosopher is a part of the Screaming Pods Network. Discover more podcasts at ScreamingPods.com. And may I recommend The Life After and The Sacred Collective. If you dig this show, you will dig those shows for sure. If you like the show and you want to become a patron saint for $1 a month, you can join us at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the AXPX. Thank you for listening, and I'll be talking to you next time about some beer and some hymns. Bye-bye.